Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You want to pop in here for a couple minutes? I can say hello to you. Mr. Wanstead. Dave Wanstead. Shane, wake up. NFL head coach for 11 years. The Bears came in here and Dave Wanstead. There's a happy group of overachievers that have been well coached. College football national champion. A number of legends here tonight. Dave Wanstead. Super Bowl champion. Dave Wanstead, one of my, you know, really idols. Football analyst for NBC Sports Chicago. So Jimmy calls me in. He says, hey, let's go to Camp Peasy's tonight. It's, it's a restaurant down in Dallas down there. Famous place for different reasons. But Jack Ruby had stake there the night before John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Spigs, I didn't say it. I said there's a lot of going on there, and I'm not commenting on it. Now, we're through the looking glass here, people. What do you think <laughs> happened to JFK? <laughs> well, if, if Joseph Campisi had anything to do with it. About Ruby. She's a bag man for the Dallas mob. Then who killed the president? It's a mystery. It's a mystery wrapped in a riddle inside an enigma. Don't you get it? I'm going to leave it at that. Trust me, guys. Is something tall and strong They get a hurricane Before I go insane It's only half past twelve But I don't care He don't care I don't care It's five o'clock somewhere Let's talk to the most interesting man in the world, our friend and yours, Dave Wanstead, on the hotline presented by Circus Sports Illinois. What's up, Coach? Not much, fellas. How we doing? We're doing well. What's in the glass today? You know what? We're having, uh, I'm up at my friend's house. Whitey's here. Big Dave's here. We're having a little pasta tonight. So I'm drinking a little, uh, little vino tonight. A little vino tonight. That's good. You got the whole gang together. All of your, all your fall guys are together in one place. Yeah, yeah. Talk. Uh, been a been a good uh, good week, you know. Good week. Everything's good. Getting ready. Uh, but some, some getting ready for some football next week. We get a week off. I don't know what I'm gonna do Saturday and Sunday. Play golf, I guess. You're gonna watch the Pro Bowl, Coach. You're gonna be locked. Oh, yeah. You're gonna be locked and loaded on the flag football part of the Pro Bowl. It's tremendous stuff. Spigs, thank you. Text me and remind me when that's on, okay? 
I will do that, Coach. Uh, I, I, absolutely. Hey, I want to go back to the games, though. Uh, go back last week for a second with all the Dan Campbell stuff. I was, yep. I was fascinated with the fact that he's not an analytics guy. Like, the whole thing that gets barked out is like, oh, look at these numbers wonks ruining football and blah, blah, blah. No, he's, he's a football man who, like, values the momentum that he thinks he can get and values the confidence that he's bringing to a team with these fourth down choices. And I wondered if you can, you can relate to that part of it, numbers aside. I can. I mean, you know, he did it more this year, obviously, than anybody in the NFL, not just this year. Someone told me in the last, like, 25 or 50 years. I mean, I think they were, like, 52% this year, 36 last year. So that's that's his MO, okay? They're going to go for it on fourth down uh, the majority of the time. And it got up to where they were at. But I said this, I think, on the show last week. The thing that made me nervous about this game with Dan Campbell is not letting his emotions get involved. I mean, you got to, as a head coach, you have to see the big picture. And I talked to four or five offensive coordinators, ex-head coaches this week, and they all agree there's a big, a huge difference in play calling when you get down three scores as compared to two. And I, you know, I was on a call this week and, and the guy was talking about that, uh, you know, if they, get, if they get up three scores, the number of possessions that San Francisco would have had, they would have had to almost score every time to come back and beat them. You know, that's just experience, I think, as a head coach that, you know, you, ha- you got to see the big picture. And, uh, you know, I, I understand why he did it, what he did. It could have been caught. I, I get all that, but put it aside. What gives you, you know, the best chance to win the game, in my opinion, three scores, the offensive guys, they may come out in a hurry-up offense. We got to score. It's halfway through the third quarter or into the fourth quarter. We have got to score. We cannot let this thing, uh, you know, get out of hand, and now you get the sacks, and now you get the interceptions, and that's when all the mistakes come. Did, uh, did your emotions ever get the better of you in a coaching decision? Dave? Yeah, a couple of times, but it was fourth and inches. It wasn't fourth and five. <laughs> <laughs> run, Ricky, up the middle. Run, run. What, what was the thing over there? What did the guy tell me? Coach, that Dolphins, you know? I said, oh, yeah, what do you think? We're in the Bahamas. He says, run, Ricky, Mon. Just keep running, Ricky, <laughs> up the middle. Yeah. But I was thinking about you going for two against the Packers for a win. Was that emotions? No, that was something that we had talked about. I mean, we 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 kind of knew that at that time, you know, obviously Green Bay was a Super Bowl team. We were struggling. Uh, so we were going to try it. We felt like we had a play that could make it. So it was a little different circumstances. I Trust me, I would not have gone for two if it was just to get into the Super Bowl. You can bet on that. Hmm. But uh, <laughs> so I, I think the circumstances were a little different. But um you know, I, I, I don't know. It's just a shame. You know, what gets me is what's the other thing you want to do when you have a lead? And this is what that didn't surprise me as much as this point. What did Detroit run at the second half? Six times, guys. I think it was six, six runs and 23 passes, about like Baltimore did with in the first game. But you got two running backs 
and you've got an offensive line and you've got a lead. I don't care. Even if you don't make the fourth down, you've got to take the error. You've got to running the ball. You're taking time off the clock. You're keeping your defense off the field. That's that bothered me from a strategic standpoint with Detroit as much as going for it on fourth. It really did. Dave, what did you think of Dan Quinn getting the commander's job? Well, it kind of surprised me. I, I thought that they were going to go for uh, you know one of these young kids that I wouldn't know their name. Uh, you know, seriously. Uh, hmm. that, Do you know Dan of, Quinn? Oh, yeah, I know Dan. Yeah, Dan's a good coach. That was a good hire. I mean, he's qualified. Uh, he'll do a great job there, uh, but it did surprise me. As much time as they took, uh, I thought that they would go with one of these young offensive guys, you know, a little bit like Carolina did and so forth. Uh, it, it did surprise me a little bit. Not that Dan Quinn got a job. I can't believe that Vrabel was still out there on the market. He was – I thought he would be the first guy that hired. I mean, he, he communicates well with the young guys, the younger generation. He's been successful. Uh, he's played the game. You know, I, I don't know. Uh, that's the one that gets me. Belichick, not a total surprise. Pete Carroll, no. But Vrabel was the one out of all of them that really surprised me the most, to be honest with you. What? Because like, So Raheem Morris gets another shot. It took him forever, but he got another shot. Dan Quinn is getting another shot. Well, it wasn't forever. I think, what, four years uh, since he was in Atlanta? I think 2020. Um, what What do you learn the second time? Because you, you were a defensive guy who got to coach multiple NFL teams. Like, what's the difference between the first head coaching gig and the second head coaching gig? I think philosophy-wise, I really didn't change much. You know, we, we were going to be a balanced attack, and we were going to be able to run the ball. That was going to be... You know, that's just the way I came up and what I believed in. Uh, philosophy defensively, we, we didn't go to more blitz. We we definitely, uh, you know, made an effort to get a little better in the secondary. I, we, you know, because we were starting to throw it more. So that was a little philosophy change. You know, I would say the other thing, too, was uh, what are you spending your time on? You know, and, and that could be probably said for any career, any job, any profession, hmm. you know. You know, I mean, pick the fights that you want to have. Uh, you know, don't waste your time arguing with the owner and the general manager about something that really isn't that significant. You know, pick your fights with, with uh, you know, with ownership and with, with your bosses. And, but the player thing, I had a tough time when I was in Chicago. God, I hated to cut guys because a lot, most of the guys you were cutting gave as much effort, if not more, than some of the guys that, that you were going to keep on a team. And uh, just, it was about talent and about skill. And, you know, so I was probably uh, a little bit more sympathetic and you know what, you, you were, and gave guys more hope than maybe was real, was the reality. Where when I went to Miami, I was a little bit more of the business sense with the players from that standpoint that's really that's really interesting to get hardened a little bit to it the second time around did did, yeah. did players respond i mean what was the difference in the way the players responded like because it seems well, like maybe that, they want that, the truth more coach yeah I, I think that they didn't respond any different that's what the lesson i learned you know i can tell a guy gee you were this close from making the team and you got ability i think you'll get another shot 
and he walks out of your office. Or you could just say, you know what, you know, right now, you know, it, it's what we're looking for. It's just not going to fit. Hey, I appreciate your effort. And that's it. Don't give him any encouragement for the future. Uh, and, they, and he walks out of the office. So I think the response is probably the same. But my first time around, I was a little bit more, uh, you know, sympathetic probably for these guys because they work so darn hard, you know, to try to try to make it. So this has been an interesting year. Like it was, it was a year that, you know, it was a little lower scoring than people expected. There were a ton of backup quarterbacks. The quarterback running wasn't as crazy as it had been. It seemed like defenses maybe got a better handle on how to defend the RPO. And then five of the eight hires have been defensive hires. Obviously, San Francisco, good defense. Ravens and Chiefs, uh, two of the top defenses. So three of the four teams that were finalists were were known as very good defensive teams. Obviously, also good offensive teams, but teams that relied on good defense. Are we seeing a little bit of a defensive renaissance right now, Dave? I, I hope so. I mean, but I don't think so. I think that... Uh... Uh, for the th- the reasons you said, Danny, you know, that scoring is down a little bit. These owners are really – you got to look at everything from an owner's eyes, okay? How is he looking at this guy? I mean, I thought Mike uh, you know, McDaniel, McDonald from uh, Baltimore, the guy who just got the job at Seattle, I thought he did a fantastic job, you know, in, in the game against Kansas City. He came out of, against the Chiefs, and, and he played uh, a softer coverage – he wasn't going to give up the big, big play at halftime. Kelsey had the longest play, uh, 21 yards, no big plays, and they're battling. They're one score. The second half, he figures out, or somebody did, John Harbaugh or someone said, our offense, we, this is horrible. We have no identity. We have no idea what we're trying to do on offense, run or pass. We got to make something happen on defense. So the second half, what does he do? He makes adjustment. He starts bringing the safety. Hamilton starts making, you know, blitzing the safeties, which was a big deal for him. He starts bringing Roquan Smith, Patrick Queen. So, you know, you look at that, at least I did, and I said, this guy gets it. He made, because that's what separates Kansas City from every team in the NFL. They got the best in-game coaches, in my opinion, in the league. Hmm. Andy Reid, he will not – and Patrick Mahomes, guys, understands that. You know, you can make an adjustment as a coach, but if your key players don't understand what you're trying to do, they're going to do something stupid. Patrick Mahomes is not. He's got the Tom Brady stuff. You know, I mean, he comes off and, and we don't want to give up a big play. Uh, Pat, you can see this thing. They can't score on us. They don't know what they're doing. As long as we don't turn it over. And what's Patrick do? He throws two or three passes to Kelsey, five yards. He's they're running the ball. He's not forcing balls. He's throwing them. That's that's what the great ones do. Yeah. And uh, so my point is that these Spagnol, these defensive coaches uh, at Kansas City, I think are the best in the league at making in-game adjustments. And I think some of these owners, I was talking about the McDonald guy, he sees what this guy did at Baltimore, and they were in the game. It was a one-score game. The perception is, that Kansas City won by three touchdowns. You know, I mean, up until the end, I mean, it was a touchdown game. Yeah. You know, it's the way you're talking about Mahomes is 
is instructive. I mean, he's obviously great in terms of explosive numbers and everything that he can do. But he's perfectly happy if this is what is necessary to just matriculate the ball down the field. No turnovers in the whole postseason here, Coach. No turnover-worthy plays. Just two sacks overall. Like, he's he's got that in the bag. Who, who's talking to you over the shoulder there? Is that Whitey or Big Dave? Who, who That's wants Big Dave. Come on here. Let's see. We know Big Dave. Whitey's over there sitting down. Okay, I'm going to have an icy light. Not mango, right, Dave? Not yet. Summertime. Mango? Go ahead, Spinks. Go ahead. Coach, what what do you make of uh, five defensive head coaches getting jobs in this cycle. Five out of the eight are defensive guys. What, what do you make of that? Are you going against well, a trend here or what? Yeah, I remember when Vic Fangio got the job, and after two years, they canned him at Denver, and they said, well, that's the, the, you know, that's the end of defensive coaches getting jobs. Uh, I love it. I, I, think it's, uh, I think it's smart. Uh, you know, now, you know what that tells you? That I prom- every one of these defensive coaches, they know – one of the major things that can help their defense play well is a good running attack, right? Clock management, field position, eliminate negative plays, sacks, interceptions. So, you know, every time you say a defensive coach, that's what comes into my mind. These guys, these guys understand the importance of running the football. So I'll be curious to see how they match up with offensive coordinators. That's the real key to me. Hey, Dave, I don't know if you knew this, but five out of the eight coaches that yeah. have been hired. What do you make of that, coach? <laughs> defensive guys. Have we asked you about that yet? You just did. I just oh, answered. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, just come did. on, we Danny. Just no, no, no. So I, just wanted to see if we, I just wanted to see if we'd get a different answer the third time. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, that, was, that was what I was shooting for. That's oh. all. That's no, but we'll see. It's uh, yeah, that was disappointing with Baltimore. I mean, being in a, that we're talking their their offense. I mean, no identity. You know, I I think that Todd Munkin, their new offensive coordinator, who came from Georgia, I I think the guy panicked. I think he yeah. handed the ball off a couple times early, got hit in the mouth, and I think the guy froze and said, "Oh God, we can't run the ball. What are we going to do?" So let's run takeoffs and let Lamar see if he can throw a deep. And it wasn't going to happen. Hey, Coach, um, I don't know if you know this, but five out of the stop, eight. No, no, I'm stop, 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 stop. No, we, we listened to Tom Brady yesterday talking about the Patriot way a little bit and just talking about everything that gone on there. But I was thinking about you because it's a pretty famous story that Belichick used to light up Brady, right, during film sessions or on the practice field because he knew he could. And he knew that Brady could take it. And the power and effect of that on everybody else to see the great Tom Brady accept coaching and take it well. Did you ever have a chance to do that? Did you have great players that you knew could take it? And sometimes you'd you'd give it to them to send a message to everybody else. I never had Tom Brady, unfortunately. But uh, no, you, you know what? Yes, but I think in a different way. You know, uh, you know, I always believed when it was bad, you know, that peer pressure was the biggest motivator. And uh, we would, if, if it was a bad performance and it was some key guys, I would never call them out, maybe like Belichick did. But all you had to do, in my opinion, was get the whole team together and say, you know what, guys, that, that, 
That was horrible. That was blah, blah, blah. We're going to watch this game as a team. And that would, that would send chills down the spine of every player in there because now you got that game up on the screen and you're running it and you're running it back again. And it might have been, you know, a, a Pro Bowl player in there that did had the wrong assignment or did the wrong technique or got blocked or whatever it might be, got beat. And you're running it back and running it back. And you don't you don't need to say anything more than that. I always thought that peer pressure from within was as the strong a motivator as what a coach could use. We'll do another segment with Dave Wanstead where we'll get more stories out of him. Uh, maybe an early look at the Super Bowl, though, of course, we'll be talking to him about it uh, next week. Dave Wanstead with Whitey and Big Dave uh, riding sidecar. It is Dave Wanstead, Parkinson Spiegel on the score. The Parkinson Spiegel Show. Twitch and YouTube wants to see Whitey. Come on over here, Whitey. Say hello. What's up, Windy City? Afternoons on the score. that down in Florida still makes time unless he's doing something for the Parkins and the Spiegel show. Love talking to him every single week. Hey, Coach, I have been uh, enraged for a couple of years now at the way that Ryan Poles has not dealt with the center position. And I'm fully expecting a new center next year, obviously, and maybe they'll look free agency. But if they look in the draft, and let's say they have a rookie quarterback can you have a rookie center too? I'm wondering how you would have felt as a defensive coordinator when you saw a rookie center and a rookie quarterback at the same time for the other team. Yeah, would not bother me one bit. I mean, I didn't have that at the Bears. Uh, Tim Ruddy was my quarterback at the Dolphins and Notre Damer. Uh, no, that would not. If that, I'll tell you, at Dallas, though, we had Mark Stebnowski and Troy Aikman. They were both young kids. Uh, no, that would be a non-factor. And I agree with you. All you got to do is think about, when you think about the Bears during their run in the 90s, uh, 2000s, uh, you know, Lovey Smith days I'm referring to when they made the Super Bowl run. I think Olin Krutz was probably the most valuable player on that offensive line. Week in, week out, year in, year out. Uh so the offensive center speaks for a lot of reasons. I agree with you. And it would not bother me having a, a rookie offensive a center and a young rookie quarterback. Oh, okay. So if you're a defensive coordinator, you wouldn't like try to go exotic and think you might be able to, to fool no. them with pass rush and stuff. You, you it, it, no? That sounds good. It looks good on the chalkboard, but at the end of the day, no, it's it's nothing that you would build your game plan around. You build build your game plan around the guy that can't block anybody. <laughs> and if if he's uh, if he's a player, which I assume he would be, then uh, that wouldn't be a factor, not one bit. That's interesting. What is the learning curve for? Because uh, I mean, Ryan Poles drafted Creed Humphrey in Kansas City, right. and he right. was good basically immediately as a rookie. And then he's been a pro bowler, and I think he made second team all pro uh, since. I, I, I'm almost positive he's been all pro already. But uh, like, what's the what's the learning curve for a for a rookie center compared to other offensive linemen? Well, the only thing is, you know, he does have a little bit more from a mental uh, responsibility it, as far as which way he'll want to return the turn the line and change protections. But that has a lot to do with 
how sophisticated your offense is going to be. You know, if you got a rookie center and you got Tom Brady, that might be a handful because Tom is going to make a lot of decisions at the line of scrimmage. He's going to change plays, which could change the blocking scheme. Uh, that could be a factor. But if you've got a young quarterback and you're trying to keep it quarterback friendly from an offensive standpoint, it would not be a problem whatsoever. Hey, coach, hey, coach, did you ever put together a coaching staff and think to yourself, well, if this guy, like if you're a head coach, right, if you hire an offensive coordinator, this guy, he might get plucked and go somewhere else. So I better have somebody else on the offensive staff who could step up and be the OC. Like, you know, this idea of Thomas Brown being here, if Shane Waldron were to get hired as a head coach, I've I've heard the phrase it could be a continuity cushion. Like you could have continuity and just and bring Thomas Brown over. Did you ever think about it like that? No, I I, I try to hire the coaches that I thought were the best that I knew and I could trust and had the same beliefs that I did and so, same philosophy that I did. And somebody, you know, it's going to take a year or two generally for a guy. And then somebody on a staff will, you know, and I, I've told coaches this, Hey, you know what? I'm not going to give you an extra title. I'm going to bring you on, but I'm going to give you a chance to be as good as you can be. And usually guys that, that uh, have that drive and have the ability to in any profession to take a step and better themselves, it's going to show up. It's going to show up. Uh, it's nothing that because you were here five years, now you deserve the job. Who's the best guy? So uh, I always I always had a guy, those bigs, as far as offense and defense, that I was ready to, to, to move up and become the coordinator. That was really not a problem. Uh, the only place I got stuck, and I will go back in history, when Ron Turner left and went to Illinois, got the head coaching job at Illinois. Mike Shula was my tight end coach. And I called Mike in and I, he was going to be the coordinator. And don't you know, uh, I forget who the coach was at Alabama. I got fired like a month after the job. Uh -huh. uh, Price, I think his name was or something, Prince Price. And, uh, and Mal Moore calls me the AD from Alabama and says that they want to hire Mike. So Mike was my guy. So I, I was caught a little bit that way, but that was the, but I hired Matt Cavanaugh who I worked with and played with. So I had no problem doing that. You know, it, uh, but, but no, every other place I've been, uh, I've always had a guy in place that we could just move up and keep going forward. What's your first early read on the Super Bowl matchup? Wow. You know, talent, no question. At San Francisco, San Francisco, I, in my opinion, has the most talent, experienced talent uh, on the field. Coaching adjustments, I'm going with Kansas City. So right now, I haven't made a pick yet. We'll do that next week. But uh, that's kind of how I'm looking at this thing. I just think that uh, Spaz and Andy Reid um, and Patrick Mahomes, you got to you got when you make talk about adjustments on your offense, you have to include the quarterback because if he doesn't understand, then you got no chance. You know, something interesting with this Kansas City defense, 
they got six starters on defense that are in the first year of their rookie contract. In other words, their years one, two, three, or four. And they made the comment, the players, that because they're so young, they are there 12 months a year, 24 hours a day, and they're trying to better themselves and establish themselves as a player, you know, and obviously the next contract and everything that comes with it. But, you know, Spags made it. I was talking to some guys this week that know Spags real well, Chucky Pagano and a couple of guys. And, and Spags, uh, you know, those guys are interchangeable. I mean, the safeties can play nickel, the corner, because they're there all the time. And they've got so many players playing for them that they have drafted. I'm, I'm, I was talking just defensively that, boy, it makes it a lot easier to make adjustments. It really does. Uh, and uh, and I think they're, they're reaping the benefits of that. I really do. Hey, Coach, would you, if you were general manager of the Bears, would you sign 30-year-old Chris Jones to a big money deal with, like, three years, three years guaranteed, you know, that, that, that kind of thing. You might get franchised again by Kansas City, but my God, that guy can play, and he's 29, he'll be 30 by opening day next year. Yeah, he put up uh, Aaron Donald's numbers this year. You know, he really did. Versus the run in the pass, he's what I would call a playmaker. He's kind of the Akeem Hicks-type defensive tackle. No, I would not sign him. I think mm-hmm. our guys got better as the year went on, and I would just – I would add one uh, – but I would just keep coaching our guys. Me personally, I would not add him. I would get another edge rusher. That's what we need, in my opinion. All right, it's interesting. So maybe a free agent edge rusher, if 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 need be, because this this new defensive coordinator is real good at coaching D line, right? Yes, that that's his that's his uh, that's his background. But uh, yes, so he'll be able to. You know, whether he'll make these guys better or not, and what I, I thought they, I thought they made good progress as the year went on, mm-hmm. and, and the defensive line, and and the scheme's not going to change with Fluso. It is what it is, you know. So, uh, you know, yeah, the guy will help the defensive line a little bit, but I keep working with these players, and if you get a chance to draft a difference maker, you got to take them. If you can't, spend some money and get one. You talk to Getzy. He's interviewing in New Orleans and New England. No, I, you know what? I haven't talked to him. Uh, I talked to Andrew Janoco shortly afterwards. I'm, I'm sure they'll be together wherever Luke's going to get a job. I mean, you know what? What did I tell you? How many of these guys get in there and they, these coordinators don't have, they can't even talk about the running game. They don't understand it. And one thing Luke did, you know, he, he, he brought the run game back to, to the Bears. Give him credit for that. And number two, Justin Fields, did get better the last half of the year. The trap that he made, and he told me that, was that they got fold. Everybody's getting fold in the OTAs. You tell me a coach right now that in June, when they're breaking on vacation, would tell you, boy, our quarterback or our star receiver, he got worse. He's really not everybody's giddy about the guys they got and they fell into a trap with Justin, in my opinion, because Justin had a great training camp and he didn't play in the preseason. And they went into the season saying, yes, we're ready to take the next step. Let's go. And that's that, that didn't work for whatever reasons. 
and they really set themselves back those first four games. Justin gets hurt, misses what four games, and then here we go. So that's uh, that's kind of what happened, in my opinion, and I think it's I think it's true. It's interesting because a lot of the I, a lot of the media said he didn't have a good training camp. Yeah, well, they, how many of them were at practice, and how many of them were watching? I was there. I was there. I watched two two minute drills, and the ball didn't hit the ground. Right. I thought he had a great training camp. Well, and now we'll see. Have you uh, heard anything in your travels about what they're going to do? You're always talking to people. Yeah, no, you know, I, I haven't. I, uh, I mean, yeah, it's just a groundswell. I mean, what, the minute Caleb Williams comes out and says, I always dreamed about being a bear, and I've always been reading books on Coach Hallis. <laughs> I mean, he's. I don't know. It's that, it's gonna be tough. it's gonna be tough to turn this guy down. I mean, I you know, as far where, as where did he say that? He hasn't said that yet, though. Right? No, I said that, that's all he has to do. I see what you're saying. Yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah. And, well, but, uh, and he's a sharp. The one thing he is, I I talked to. I know people that know him from back at Gonzaga High School in D.C. And this guy's a sharp guy. He gets it. He's a class kid. I mean, he's going to say the right things. In my opinion, he's going to do the right things. Uh, he, he, you know, he's going to have good counsel leading up to the draft. He's not going to do anything or say anything that that hurts him. Uh, so, hmm. uh, and the numbers support him. You know, the numbers are the numbers. I mean, that's uh, you can't can't deny him that touchdowns, interceptions, all that stuff. <laughs> Gesundheit to Whitey or Big Dave. Uh, All right, Dave, thank you. We will talk to you soon. Uh, We'll talk to you before the Super Bowl, sir. Have a good week. All right, see you guys. See you, Coach. That's Dave Wanstead. Was that a sneeze or a cough? I don't know what it was. I don't know. It was definitely either Whitey or Big Dave. Did you guys not ask him if Whitey was there still from last week? Has he he just not left? He's he's staying at their place. He's staying at his place. He's at Whitey's place. So he said, I'm up here with Whitey and Big Dave. So he's up there. You know, He's been staying at Whitey's place. He's up there with the Congress. Whitey, the Pittsburgh Park District worker, has a place at Naples. Oh, no. Then then it's Big Dave's Dave's place. It's Big Dave's place. I think it's Big Dave's place. But Whitey's there. Of course he's got a place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big, Big Dave's play. rolling, isn't he? Big Dave is like he's wearing Big... sunglasses indoors in that in that <laughs> yeah, clip there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's so doing it's, just it's fine. Big, that it's Big Dave's play. He can wear the sunglasses. He can figure out how to get a house in Naples, but he doesn't know how to put on headphones here when he's in the studio. <laughs> I when confusing. I grow up, I want to be Dave Wanstead. You know what I mean? It's not probably not going to happen. I, I appear it's, to be it, me. It seems unlikely. He seems to already be Dave Wanstead. Imagine being Jan. The guy's just having a weeks long slumber party with his grown <laughs> adult friends. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? They're wearing footy pajamas, drinking bourbon. I'd argue it's been longer than a week. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's right. He was friends. How about about 40 years? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The coaching staff was in the delivery room at Oklahoma State (laughs) because they had a big game against Kansas that Saturday. It's a slumber party. Dave's life is a slumber party that Jan is invited to. It's unbelievable. (laughs) She gives them snacks. (laughs) She provides a lovely home. Yes. All right, honey, we got to look at some more place. She goes upstairs. We got to watch Tombstone again. <laughs> searchers. Searchers. Only when Tony Wise is there is it searchers. He's the greatest. Well, my favorite thing about Tony Wise oh, wow. is that he told us to say hello to Adam McKay. <laughs> oh, I said hello. And then we did. We did. <laughs> it's incredible. Tell my said hello. <laughs> Honestly, we sure will, Tony. Honestly, and you know what? Adam loved it. He adored it. 
The thing is, we didn't win a Marconi last year. We weren't even a finalist. I don't know. We should have been. <laughs> Shocking that I believe that. I know. But, I mean, honestly, we facilitated, we facilitated a conversation between Tony Wise and Adam McKay. Who else pretend, does that? Pretending to be the running backs coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah. Felger and Maz doing that? I don't think so. I don't believe so. We should win a Gracie at bare minimum. At a minimum. Apparently, we have some crazy audio to get to at 5 o'clock on Caleb Williams that is going to make me especially very uncomfortable. I have not heard it. It is apparently wild. I don't want to hear it, but I can't leave early. So, apparently, (laughs) that's going to happen coming at at 5 o'clock. So, before then, we'll try to get some good vibes going with some sports appreciation. It's Parkinson Spiegel on the score. The Parkinson Spiegel Show. It's a disgusting way to do talk radio, isn't it? Afternoons on the score. You know, I just felt appreciated, you know? Um... I think that's what it comes down to. You just feel the appreciation and the love, um, you know, and I just kind of stood in it. It was like, man, this is uh, this is a big deal, you know. Um, you know, just to take that moment and to, to have everybody in the building just show me that type of love. It's um, acknowledgement of a lot of things, you know, during my time here. So I appreciated it, um, and that was it. That's Damian Lillard on his return to Portland. We'll talk more about it in a second. Startling allegations informed, though, from a national voice on Caleb Williams and the Bears. Tanny's heard it. He said it's going to be a massive story. We will get to it at 5 o'clock. I know. I know. I know. But go ahead talk about Damian <laughs> we're doing it at five so we have more time we have to play a chunk of audio sure. like, like, so that, that's that's why this is happening sure but so I just wanted I looked at our sheet of stories to get to yep. and I was like let's pick the most positive one uh-huh. to lead into something that might have me cry on the air <laughs> way to bracket this bit with a tease for weeping thank and you. actual weeping thank you that yeah. will be coming up go ahead Damian Lillard. You have to lead this, by the way. Okay, I, got I am just I got you. terrified. Damian Lillard did not weep last night. No. He did everything else that you can do during a 63-second ovation from the Portland crowd as he returned back to Portland. 11 years, a blazer, seven times an all-star there, obviously. And beloved is not strong enough. Um, I've got a good friend who lives out there and is a Blazers season ticket holder and a hoops junkie like Shane. And um, he has not recovered. He remains a junkie. But he says there has been nothing about Damian Lillard in his entire run in Portland that damaged the love, the relationship. There's been nothing. And it got to the point where... Most Blazers fans were like, yes, Dame, you should leave. You've done enough. You've given everything. Go ahead. Go try and win. You're 33 and you deserve it. And the outpouring of love last night was, was quite something to watch. And Lillard did a lot in, those, in that minute and three-second ovation. He, he raised his arms and clapped back at the clouds. That ran its course. Then he uh, said thank you with his hands and kind of bowing a little bit. That ran its course. Then he kind of did the heart sign to he the crowd. He did basically everything other than, like, take a bow. Right. Like, all the, <laughs> all the moves you can do. And then eventually, towards the end of it, his teammates came over with, of the Bucks and grabbed him and shook him and tried to give him, you know, try to get him to laugh a little bit. But it, it was intense. But I, I realized 
it's rare to have an 11-year run in a town and have it be as clean as it apparently was for Damian Lillard and Blazers fans. And it reminded me of how early, how clear the love I had for Derrick Rose and, and when he won MVP and the whole thing, like it was so wonderful. Yeah. And then it got really uncomfortable and ugly and awkward and it sucked with everything that went on and everybody knows what it was. And I know that's kind of come back around for Derek, where the love is cleaner for uh, yeah, Bulls I mean, fans. Just from being at the UC, it has not kind of come around. It's come around. Mm. You know, j- just by judge. I mean, I've been at Bulls games when Derek Rose is on the other team's bench getting MVP chants that are audible throughout the entire arena. Yeah. Forget when he even, check, when he, even when he checks into the game. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then the place goes absolutely insane. But, Danny, like, I, I was singing the praise the day he makes that MVP speech. Oh, no, I know. I know what like, happened. And then it all goes it all goes to, to hell with, obviously, the injuries and then the way the injuries were cast and and then graduations and, and meetings and stuff like that and then the sex belt and everything, and it's pretty remarkable to have a, a modern-day superstar with as clean and loving a relationship over 11 years to the point that they said, go ahead, go somewhere else. You've done enough. And to see all that play out last night was was really cool and emotional and interesting. Good for Dame Lillard. This, the superstar who leaves that has no resentment and never had any controversy or baggage along the way Nothing. allows for a pure type of fan love that also never won big you know there's a lot of like things that kind of make it he never won anything of significance Mm -hmm. but they all love him and they're happy he's gone and there was never any controversy it was a it was a very cool moment uh last night for for Damian Lillard and we'll see if he ends up winning big in Milwaukee it's been pretty bumpy obviously and now Doc Rivers is taken over. So, all right, you teased the weeping. I talked about Dame Lillard, and now you can get soon to maybe the regular weeping. We'll I, see what it is. Yeah, listen, this is a national voice with deep connections to USC and Caleb Williams making some pretty crazy, startling allegations about how he feels about Chicago and the Bears. It's next on the score. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. 
Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.